Well, good, good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's great to be at Regent Chapel again. It's always nice to be invited somewhere. And it's even, even nicer to be invited back a second time when people know what they're actually letting themselves in for. So thank you, and it's great to be here this morning. It's great to be looking at the, at the conclusion of your uh, series on Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, if you'd like to turn to that now, we'll, we'll be re- uh, looking, starting from Philippians 4, verse 10. Philippians 4, verse 10. Through the end of the letter. Paul writes this. He said, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To God our Father and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and the sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So the conclusion of this letter, and, uh, it, it contains actually what I think must be one of the most remarkable statements to be found anywhere. Um, here we have Paul in prison. He's uh, facing and an ex- an expecting death. And he says, where I want to focus this morning, he says, I have learned the secret of being content. I have this deep calm, this deep stability, no matter what the circumstances. That's truly remarkable. You see, from the passage, he's in a very difficult and testing situation. He's received help from the church in Philippi, for which he's thankful. He's grateful for their friendship and for the practical help and support. But the truth is, with or without that, he is content. What an amazing statement. See, what Paul is talking about is a contentment that will enable us to face anything whatever the circumstances. He's in prison, he's facing torture, he's facing execution, yet he's a complete peace. I find that just incredible. How can anybody be in a condition of heart to talk like that at a time like that? I have learned the secret of being content. Even more amazing is that the Bible doesn't just say that this is possible, but the Bible actually commands it. That's what the Tenth Commandment's all about. You shall not covet. Covet is the, the opposite of contentment. Covet is, 
is grasping, an inner grasping. I must have this. I have to have these things or I'm undone. It's a result of obeying the first command. Love God with all your heart. Put nothing before him. Be totally absorbed in him. The tenth commandment, don't covet, is the result. The first commandment is to love God. And the tenth commandment is if you love God, then you won't covet. You'll be content. If I love God enough to be content in all things, why would I want to steal money? Why would I want to steal sex? Why would I want to steal status? Why would I want to steal revenge? Why would I need these things? Pleasure is nice. Pleasure is created by God. Money, comfort, sexuality. Paul's got this incredible place. That's certainly not where he started in life. He tells us about his own experience of becoming a Christian in Romans 7. He says, I was alive apart from the law. He's saying, I felt good about myself. I thought I was godly. And then he says, this commandment came. You shall not covet. Then sin revived and I died. He says, the commandment killed me. He says, it killed him. You know what he's saying? He says, I thought I was a godly person until one day I was meditating on this commandment, you shall not covet, and I began to realize what it said. It says a godly person will love God enough so that nothing else is necessary, that he will be content in all circumstances, whether it be plenty or whether it be want. Suddenly Paul says, I'm not anything like that. And he's deeply convicted and he says, I can't even come near that. I'm not godly at all. Help me. And that was the beginning of his conversion. So the question for us all this morning is, do you have contentment? Paul says he thought he was alive, he thought he was doing well, he thought he could make it, but then he saw how short he fell and he cried out, help me. And that was the beginning for Paul. It started Paul on this incredible journey that brought him to the place where he could write, I have learned the secret of being content in any and in every situation. Paul says he's learned the secret. Thankfully, he doesn't keep it to himself. He outlines it for us here. And three things that I just want to pick up on, on, on this idea of contentment. Number one, he shows us why we need it. Then he shows us what it is. And then he shows us basically how to get it. Why, what, and how. So let's do those, so three, those three things so that we can understand the secret uh, too. So why do we need it? Well, to answer that question, we need to look at Paul saying, I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret. Why is he called it a secret? Why is contentment a secret? Well, a secret just simply means something that's not obvious. It's not obvious to the average person. It's not obvious to common sense. Yet he calls it a, a secret also to tell us that it's something that we all want. Secrets are something we want to know and yet they're not obvious. We know there's something there to be found. But finding it and receiving it are another matter altogether. There's this desire, isn't, it, isn't there, in all of us for contentment. But it eludes us. And that's what he means by saying it's a secret. It eludes us. It eludes all human beings. It's a, it's a tremendous passion and desire that we all have. But its source and how to get it seems out of reach and, and hidden. We know it's there somewhere, but it all remains a bit of a mystery, a secret. There's this longing for something beautiful, something satisfying, 
but we don't know what it is or where to find it. Something that we know is there. We have the desire. We want it. We often think we found it. But then we realize that we've been following this false trail all along. See, contentment's a secret. It's something we know about, but we don't know about. It's something we all feel, but we, we don't know the key to it. So what do we do when we're faced with that? We have this desire for contentment, but we can't find it. So what do we do? Well, we fall into one of three groups in this search for contentment. And everybody in this room will be in one of, one of these, so listen and see where you are. The first group is people who desire, decide that the objects that arouse the desire for contentment must be the things which will satisfy it. The things which make us want contentment are the things which will give us contentment. They've made me want contentment and satisfaction. They must be able to give me contentment. The Tenth Commandment, is all, or, which is all about contentment, or it's like identifies that. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, I know in our world, we're not typically into ox and donkeys and all that sort of stuff. A bit closer to home, John says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Same thing. These are all things that stimulate our desire for contentment. They've made me want to be content. content. They're going to give me contentment. That's how it works. Some of us find that the objects that most arouse this desire are romantic or sexual objects. Our neighbor's wife. We really believe that if we just get into a relationship with the right person, then that will make the world perfect. The world's full of that gospel these days. If I finally find the right person, then everything else will fall into place. That's what we believe. But the truth is, no relationship can ever carry that amount of weight. No normal person can deliver this longing for contentment and fulfillment that we desire. That's because we're all flawed. The lust of the flesh, romantic or sexual relationships will never fully, fully satisfy us. Why? Well, I know this from being 20, married for 25 years because I'm in them, because we're in them. So there's those things. Then there are pe people who find the desires arise mainly not by romance and sexuality, but by possessions by going after things, by accumulating the lust of the eyes. That's what we think satisfies the desire. That's what will really, really bring us the secret of contentment. And then you have the third category. Well, on that one, it's interesting. I was just come back from holiday in, uh, in Spain. And it's, you, know, you know, it's like you turn up the airport, you sort of had a great holiday, you're feeling really satisfied, you're feeling really happy. So it's check through and what's there these days is there's a massive duty free it's amazing it becomes really noticeable all of a sudden things that you had never thought about wanting all of a sudden become desirable don't they the, sort of, the, the, the shelves are just set up to make us feel unhappy yeah it does that things then you have the third category the lust of flesh the lust of the eyes the pride of life power status celebrity getting ahead in my career if I could just get there if I can get there, the next promotion, or the mo become the most popular person, my group of friends, liked by this person or by this group of people, if only I could attain that status or that position. 
You know, we live in a day when there's a massive focus on celebrity culture, isn't there? You see it all around you in the papers, everywhere. People on the surface appear to have all of those things that I've just been talking about. Relationships, possessions, power, status, popularity, so on. I remember once reading about an article about this whole celebrity of culture, and the writer said this, it says, the minute a person becomes a celebrity is the same minute he or she becomes a monster. When God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish and then giggles merrily when you suddenly realize you want to kill yourself. The night each of them became famous, they wanted to shriek with relief. Finally, now they were adored, invincible, magic. The morning after the night, each of them became famous. They wanted to take an overdose of barbiturates. If they were miserable before, they were twice as miserable now. Because that giant thing they were striving for, that same thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and ha-ha happiness, had happened. And nothing changed. They were still them. The disillusionment turned them in, in howling and insufferable. Sex and money and power will not make us happy. We only have to take a glance at people who have all of those things and it becomes obvious. So that's the first thing we can try and do to find the secret of contentment. It doesn't work. We, we know that from our own experience. How many times have, have we said, if only I could have that, it would make me happy? then we get that. And actually, we still feel restless. We still feel, feel uneasy. And so we move on to the next thing. So if people and things aren't going to satisfy, then, then what is the answer? Well, this is the next group of people. The answer is to become a cynic. You look around, you say, yes, I've been worshipping things. I've been building my life on things that are too small for my life. I've had it. I'm not going to do it anymore. So you worship nothing. You build your life on nothing. You become cynical. You become hard. At least you're not being disappointed. Admittedly, at least you're not going to up and down all the time like you used to be. At least now you're just, well, you're just down here and you stay there. I used to cry after the moon, but now I just cry. You become a cynic. There's no point. Whatever will be, will be. I'll just grit my teeth and I'll get through it. Nothing will change. Nothing can help or make a difference satisfaction is for romantics it's for idealists I'm a realist, it can't happen that's the second group of people then there's a third category a third group of people people like C.S. Lewis probably heard of him, the writer of the Narnia Chronicles so on. he said this, wonderful he said, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists a baby feels hunger well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. People feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. What he's saying is this, if, if there are desires in you that nothing on earth can fulfill, 
it, it means that you were built for someone or something else. We need to go beyond ourselves. As nice as sex is, as nice as sexuality is, as nice as relationships and friendships are, as nice as money is, as nice as comfort is, as nice as all these things are, they can never bring contentment. They're the icing on the cake and you can't live on icing. So the third person says, like Paul, I have learned the secret of being content. I will love God with all my heart, with all my strength and with all my mind. Paul has dug deep below the surface of things and learned that putting God at the centre of your life, then and only then can you even begin to know what it means to be content. So what is contentment? The word contentment, Paul uses here, means to be, to be full, to be satisfied. It's like when you've eaten a, a terrific meal, not too much so you're uncomfortable, but just every bit that you could possibly take in. Great food. You know when you say, that hit the spot. I needed energy, it gave me energy. I needed warming up, it did that. I needed refreshing, it did that. You find out, whereas before you were anxious, you, now you just really want to take a nap. You know you're satisfied. That's what Paul's talking about. But he's not talking about a physical satisfaction. He's talking about a satisfaction that lies deep within us. Nothing else of need is needed. If there's plenty, it doesn't matter. If there's nothing, it doesn't matter. If things around are going well, it doesn't matter. If things around are hard, it doesn't matter. Still content. Do you have that this morning? Does that describe you? How did Paul get that? How did Paul get to that position? Well, he tells us, he says, I can do all of this through Christ who strengthens me. See, a Christian is somebody who, on the one hand, has a new self-image and a new attitude towards him or herself and also a new attitude towards God. I can do all things through Christ who, gives, who is my strength. All that I am and all that I need in life comes first from knowing Jesus Christ. He's the source and he's the reason for my contentment, says Paul. You know, in another letter, Paul gives another incredible statement of what it is that defines and shapes him. It isn't money or possessions or sex or relationships or position or power. He says, 1 Corinthians 4 verse 3, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. He's saying, you know what it is? I don't care what you think of me. It's a small matter whether I'm judged by any human court. I don't care what you think of me. Then he says, I don't even care what I think of me. Imagine that. Not even care what we think about ourselves. Not just that he says, I don't care what other people think of me in this stand. It's a small thing whether I'm judged by you or by any human court. Because I don't even judge myself. What the world around him looked like, what the people around him thought, whether there was plenty or whether there was need, that didn't matter to Paul. Because he'd met Christ. You know, some of you say, I wish I could believe like that. I wish I could believe like that. I wish I had faith like that. I wish I had enough faith in Jesus and God to give my life and begin to know the secret of being content. But I just don't wish I... I just don't have enough faith. I, I wish I could. So you shrug, you let yourself off the hook. Well, I'm not going to let you off the hook easily. 
It's not a matter of, of you can't trust Christ. It's a matter of you refusing to distrust yourself. Anybody who says, I can't trust in God, acting as if, well, faith is beyond me, you're refusing to see the fact that right now you are living a life of faith, faith in yourself. That's the reason why after everything else has let you down, you're still cynical. You don't believe that's attainable. You say, I'm not going to trust anything. I'm not going to trust God. I'm not going to trust some preacher telling me who I have to give my life to. I'm not going to trust relationships. I'm not going to trust anything from now on. Yes, you are. You're trusting your own judgment. You're trusting yourself. You're saying you're the one who can make up your mind about what's right and what's wrong and what's good and what's bad. You, you see, you're still basing your life on faith, faith in your own competence to run your life. You need the power to look at yourself and admit that you are not competent to run your own life. You have made plenty of decisions that have been bad. And even now, you don't know what to do with it. Paul says, I've learned the secret. What is the secret? Christ who strengthens me. Through him, I can do anything. That's why Paul's able to say, this commandment not to covet, it killed me. It killed me, he says. But in killing me, it gave me life. The commandment that kills you today could give you life. You could say, Jesus, I see I'm not content. I see I'll never get there. I need to give my life to you the way Paul did. So I can someday say, I know what it is, it is like to be in need. Why not do that today? You can say, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. All of us need this. Some of us need to do it for the first time. Let's just pray. Let's, let's just take a moment. Let's just go to him. Father, thank you for Paul's, for Paul's story. Thank you that, that we can look at him and, and see his journey from being, thinking he was on the right track being happy with life. But then, Father, you intervened. You, you showed him that. That actually, deep inside, he was still re restless. He hadn't found the, the, the true contentment. He read that commandment to not covet, and he found it just that he was coveting, that he was grasping, that he was still reaching for something. Father, we look into our own hearts. Father, we know that all of us, we have this deep desire to find contentment for our longings to be satisfied. For us to reach that place where we know that we've, that we've received it, that, all, that what we've been longing for all our lives. This place of contentment that we've come to it. Father, thank you that we can come to that place now. We can come to that place where you will satisfy us, where you will meet our needs, where the thing that we've really needed all along is given to us. Thank you that you do that for us, Father, in the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you that as we come to him, every longing, every desire, every passion, 
everything we want, everything we need is truly fulfilled. Father, thank you that all your promises to us are yes and amen in him. So Father, I pray as Paul concludes this great letter with the statement that he is content. Father, I pray that you will lead each one of us more and more to the place where you give us contentment in Christ. Finding strength from him. Father, I pray that for myself. I pray that for each person here this morning. You know, just appeal to you. If you this is your longing. Why not come to that place this morning? That place of forgetting about money, forgetting about power, forgetting about relationships and turning to what God offers, Christ. Come to him. Come to the end of yourself and come to him. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.